On this week's Back of the Grid, we are going to talk about Felipe Massa's bizarre legal action that he's taking against FOM. Uh, we're going to go through the controversial running of Robert Schwartzman for Ferrari this weekend at the Dutch Grand Prix at Zandvoort. Um, we're going to talk about the Formula E grid and we'll talk a little bit about Jenny Gauck coming back to the paddock. And of course, we've got the storylines as part of our preview and we'll, if you listen to the end, we'll get through all of your questions or as many as we can, as many as we've got time for. Let's go. Hello everyone and welcome to Back at the Grid. I'm your host this week, Chris, and I'm joined by a slightly poorly stew. Hello. And Tommy is off on his holidays, so just the two of us this week as we... We're back to race week, but we're also all about to go on our holidays over the next few weeks, so we've kind of planned that terribly, really. We haven't planned our life around Formula One as should be expected of us, I suppose. Yeah, who'd have thought after however many years of doing this, we would all... For the first time, actually, or maybe maybe we're losing. Maybe this is the right year to all go away on holiday because there's not a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, maybe at the moment we can just pre-record us congratulations for Stappen on a win and then just call it good. Yeah, pretty much. Um, a few newsy bits before we get to that, though. Uh, first is sort of update on the Felipe Massa. I think I should have been champion in 2008 um, saga. He's now it's been quite a while since we've had an update on that saga. It has. Like, uh, it kind of felt what, like it petered a out. Yeah, as we expected it to, and now it's back. Um, so he's reportedly taking legal action now against the FIA and FOM. He sent kind of the pre-legal action, we're going to take legal action letter to them both. Uh, the news agency Reuters have seen said letter which apparently says that Massa is the victim of a conspiracy committed by individuals at the highest level of F1, together with the Ooh. FIA and FOM, and that, simply put, Mr Massa is the rightful 2008 Drivers' Champion, and F1 and FIA deliberately ignored the misconduct that cheats him out of the title. Mr Massa is unable to fully quantify his losses at this stage, but estimates are that they are likely to exceed tens of millions of euros. Ooh, big talk. And then my favourite part of this is that the FIA have, um, in response to a request for comment, acknowledged that they received correspondence from Mr. Massa. <laughs> correspondence. Just, just a nice letter. Just check in. Uh, it's weird. Wow. It continues to be weird that after all these years, he's now going down this route. And what, what has changed in the world of Felipe Massa that has led him down this path? Well, the, the thing that kind of kicked this back off is that Bernie Eccleston said something in an interview that sort of pointed to people within FOM and FIA actually knowing about what happened at the Singapore Grand Prix much sooner than... Um, they let on, and that they basically swept you under the carpet. What, like before it happened, or during two thousand and eight? Is the, is the suspicion? Okay, so um, not not in advance of it happening, then. Because that's no. quite that's quite important, I think. Yes, that is Whether important. They knew it was if they knew it was going to happen and then did nothing to stop it, then that's obviously yeah. Mass is essentially saying there was a period of time, June two thousand eight, when they could have done something about it, 
and that if they had, he would have been world champion. Now, Bernie Eccleston has since backtracked on those comments and said he doesn't even remember saying it, I think was what I read from him. which Strong I mean, defence. We all know what he's like. Um, if it is true and they did know about it during 2008 and they did kind of try and sweep it under the carpet, that's obviously terrible and probably should be looked at. However, I don't know if that is why Felipe Massa didn't win the 2008 World Championship. <laughs> yeah, um, let's just let's have a look at Felipe Massa's results during the 2008. I mean, the 2008 Singapore Grand Prix, which is the Crashgate one that this relates to, is also the race where he drove out the pit lane with his fuel hose still attached. Yeah. So I can already think of one thing that season that cost him more than the couple of points he would have needed to be world champion. Um, yeah. Um, Great Britain, he finished 13th. That's what I was about to point out. If he hadn't spent the entire British Grand Prix spinning... In the barrier, while, yeah. Yeah, he, I yeah remember while his title rival just, just like gave everyone a lesson in wet weather driving, maybe yeah, he'd he, have been world Massa champion. Massa was like. doing pirouettes the entire time. Hungarian Grand Prix, finished 17th. There's, it's, I, I, I'm trying really hard not to bring back the spectre of Abu Dhabi 2021 no. here. Yeah, we should but do everything we can to avoid that, please. People love to point to a specific moment where a driver won or lost a championship. And it's just not how it works. Like, mm-hmm. yes, there are these big headline moments, but it is a season of races for a reason. And you can point to lots of things in many close seasons where if a driver had done one or two things differently, the results could have gone the other way. So to say it's only because of this race and to say he's lost tens of millions of euros as a result of that one race is, it's just a bit silly, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's kind of like selective butterfly effect, isn't it, in a way? (laughs) Yeah, it really is. Like, here's the one thing that caused it. Forget about these other things. Forget about the retirement, or, well, not retirement, whatever it was, the 17th place in Hungary. Forget about the pirouettes I was doing at Silverstone. Um, Forget about all the other, you know, all the other races that I wasn't as quick as the person who eventually won the world championship. It's this one moment that that cost me that title. Ah, Nonsense. He's in, a, he's in a butterfly house pointing at one of them saying, yeah, it's that one. It's that it's one. It's you. Yeah, like... you little butterfly. <laughs> um, yeah, mental. I think it's I can't see much coming of properly this. Mental. I don't think anything's going to come of this. And I think the, problem, the reason that nothing is going to come of this is because for form and for the FIA, the ramifications of if anything does come of this are quite huge. Like, you know, I'm not saying anything is going to come of this, but we do, we can't talk about this without raising the prospect of two you know something happening about 2001 now i don't think sorry 2021 i don't think hamilton would be that bothered i don't think that's how he wants to win a world championship yeah but um and i don't think he would go for it but it does raise the prospect of that being a an avenue for say mercedes to go down or anyone to go down and yeah say, this you could is- just go through the history books at that point yeah, well, and, and that that's literally it. Like, in that point, how many other butterfly effect moments do you want to pick throughout history? Yeah. Who, who, how many other people are going to come after from in the FIA for, uh, for, for making, you know, blatantly wrong calls in yeah. the past? Yeah, and the further you go back in history, the more dodgy decisions you're going to come across. So, yeah. You know, is... Um, 
is is Prost going to go after the FIA for not disqualifying Senna? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, for, for various reasons over the course of their rivalry. Like, it's just, where does it end? I think, I don't think this is going anywhere. Um, I think it's, I mean, it's fun to talk about, but I think <laughs> it, it, it is, is fueled by, uh, it seems desperate from Felipe Massa. Maybe it, Felipe Massa is just trying to get back in the limelight. I don't know. Like it's, it, it, it almost feels thing. like some lawyers have read these comments from Bernie Eccleston and been like, Oh, I know how I can make a bit of cash here. We'll go and go and tell, tell Massa he's got a chance of, you know, and, and I don't think Massa's asking for the championship to be overturned. Ultimately, he's just asking for the tens of millions of euros in, you know, bonuses and earnings and whatever he would have got had he been world champion but even so it's just it's just yeah. impossible to prove isn't it yeah and as well even then like you know likely to exceed tens of millions of euros bit vague isn't it it's very very vague like yeah, they're very very difficult things to i mean it is possible to like quantify to an extent this stuff so like you can look at the success of of lewis hamilton over the course of the last however many years since 2008 and that can be like uh, i guess a bit of a yardstick for you as a as a as a measurement so like sponsorship money and things like that you know there is a lot of a, a lot a lot to be won but it's not like it's not like felipe massa just stopped being a formula 1 driver in 2008 either. he still yeah. had a very you know very good career full of sponsorship and full of you know well paid contracts for ferrari <laughs> after that so um yeah I, 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 yeah, I think you're right. I think it's it is lawyers sort of trying to make a book, isn't it? And he's kind of being convinced somehow that that he can win this. And yeah, I don't. No, it's yeah. uh, it's just never happening. It's not going. It's not going to go anywhere. This. No, definitely not. Uh, moving on, we're getting a first uh, young driver to run in FP1 this weekend, which is uh, Robert Schwartzman, who's going to be driving for Ferrari um, for a third time. He did both their appearances last season um, because the rule is still in place that every F1 team has to run a young driver in at least uh, two FP1 sessions. Um, interestingly, Ferrari said they just asked Carlos Sainz which race he wanted to give up his FP1, and this was the one that Carlos Sainz picked. Um, it's it's a little bit tricky for teams this year because obviously they always are going to want to do these in the back half of the season. But when you look down the list, we've got like there's there's uh, Zanvoort and then Monza, which that could potentially run the mat. But then like Singapore, it's a flyaway street race. They're never going to run a young driver there. Japanese Grand Prix, are they really going to fly young drivers all the way out there? Maybe Liam Lawson, actually, because he's already there doing Super Formula. So maybe we'll see Liam Lawson turn up for Red Bull and or AlphaTauri in Japan. Then we've got Qatar, which I think is a sprint weekend. Mexico as well, I believe, is a sprint weekend. And obviously there's Vegas, which is a brand new street circuit. So, like, the options start... I, I imagine FP1 in... Um, Definitely in Abu Dhabi is going to be almost entirely young drivers, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Could be hilarious. Yeah, I think that there's not much left to fight for. <laughs> and then, is Mexico a sprint weekend? No. Brazil's another sprint race, isn't it, this year? Mexico yes, isn't. So maybe Mexico will see a bunch. Um, another interesting thing around all this is, you may remember last season, Alfa Romeo sort of exploited, I guess what you call a little bit of a loophole, in that Guan Yu Zhou counted as one of their young drivers 
when he drove in FP1 in Bahrain because he had, you know, fit the bill for what a young driver is yeah. described as in the rules. And they actually haven't closed that loophole. So McLaren, Williams and AlphaTauri have already all ticked one of their young driver boxes in FP1 in Bahrain, which is quite funny. That's good. Great. Nice one. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's not like... I remember we've been talking about like F2 drivers recently. The the queue is not quite as packed as it has been in recent years. So, um, yeah, unless it's always nice Red to Bull. see. Unless you're Red Bull, then there's plenty of plenty of mm. people queuing up, waiting to uh, snaffle up Sergio Perez's drive. But lots of people queuing thing. up, wondering why Ricardo's coming back. They're like, "Come on, yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. right here." Um, yeah, uh, not much to say about that really. Schwartzman's done well in F in in F two up to now, and as long as he's been there, so it's it's good to see Ferrari uh, playing to the rules. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's. I mean, Schwartzman was one of those. You have to again get those F two drivers that do really well, and then F one just never works out for them. But he's been having a pretty solid time in um in WEC since and various other things. So yeah, cool. decent driver. Nice. Uh, we've got a bit of Formula E grid news. I know a lot of people who listen like Formula E. Um, we already knew Nick Cassidy was replacing Sam Bird at Jaguar. Um, Jaguar are going to be all New Zealand next year with Nick Cassidy and Mitch Evans. Interesting. Um, but as rumoured for a while, Sam Bird has now officially joined uh, McLaren alongside Jake Hughes, which is really cool, actually. I think I think Sam Bird and McLaren feel like a pretty good a good matchup, I think. It's interesting because Sambird was famously a Ferrari sports car driver for a long time for Assetto yes. Corsa for, uh, in World Endurance Championship. Um, well, not well, not strictly World Endurance Championship, but you know what I mean, like that, the same tour, um, the endurance racing yeah. GT tour. Um, GTE, GT Endurance. So, yeah, he's gone from... Uh, he's one of very few drivers to go from Ferrari to McLaren. I feel like the direction of travel is the other way particularly in Formula yeah. 1 um, but yeah I'm excited to see it does feel like a good combo Sam, I, you know, I'm a big I'm a big Sam Bird fan I'm excited to see him at that team I really really hope McLaren can pull together a better season for him next year than they've had this year because this last year has not been the best uh, yeah his time at Jaguars just not really worked out as anyone expected has it so I think a bit of a, a clean slate and a new team probably is good for him so yeah, but even McLaren, you know, McLaren kind of didn't really do much last season, did they, in Formula E? They were there, but they didn't really, they were never really, felt like, from what I saw, they were never really at the sharp end. That no, they had moments, but they were always kind of also around a little bit, especially towards the back half of the season, so. Yeah. Yeah, hoping for better things from everyone concerned there. Yeah. Um, and then last little bit of news, a bit of, bit of feel-good news, is that uh, Jenny Gow is going to be returning to the paddock this weekend. Um, so she is a BBC F1 reporter. <clears throat> you may remember about eight months ago, she had a stroke completely out of the blue. Um, I know the BBC and Sky Sports have been like really supporting her through it all. Um, and she said as much as she's still recovering and isn't, you know, can't do everything that she could before, the BBC are going to kind of help her get back in the paddock and sort of do a bit of stuff on the radio just to kind of dip her feet back in, so... Yeah, it was really good to hear hear her back because it was like, yeah, such terrible yeah, out of the blue news when that happened. Huge shock, wasn't it? A huge shock. Yeah. So yeah, it's good to see. Well, it's good. To, it's great to see she's on the road to recovery, and um, yeah, she'll be. I'm sure she'll be very welcome back in the paddock. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, should we should we do a bit of Zandvoort then? Now it is Let's. it is a race week again. It is finally. Yeah, it's um, taken them long enough. <laughs> so obviously the big headline. 
going into it is that Verstappen can match Vettel's record of nine consecutive wins at what is his home race. Pretty good place to do it. Um, there's, it's hard to see much getting in his way. I mean, the rain is forecast to be pretty bad all weekend. I mean, that it's going to make things a bit more challenging for him, but even so... Yeah, that, that makes me nervous about my uh, about my prediction for the remainder of the season. But, <laughs> um, you know, anything can happen in the rain. And we'd, we'd had a, we haven't had a wet Zandvoort. But then the, the the issue I have is that if it's raining that much, then they, they'll end up just not running the cars. Well, yeah, there is that. That's what seems to happen these days. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it'll be interesting to see to see how that one plays out. Um, I fully expect Verstappen to... Absolutely smash this. If the if the if they say the crowd's worth a couple of attempts, then <laughs> he should finish about ten minutes ahead of everyone else. <laughs> yeah, so I know, right? Just lap the entire field. <laughs> um the more interesting stuff as usual is behind him. Um there's like a kind of a real fight been going on recently for who is second best. Um yeah. Mercedes and McLaren think... were both kind of sat in that spot from time to time. Obviously last race out in Spa Ferrari were Second fastest. Um, yeah, I mean, and this track could suit Aston Martin as well. They like the tight twisties, Aston Martin. Yeah, that's true, actually. Makano, Monaco, I'm having a stroke. <laughs> Monaco um, Monaco was the, you know, the best chance I thought they had for, for a win this season so far. Yeah. And this is kind of a, I think it's fair to say this is a mini Monaco in a way, you know. Certainly like through sector two. Actually, yeah, the, a lot of sector three as well. Yeah, a lot. Well, a lot of it. It's you know, it's tight. It's twisty. There's not a lot of overtaking opportunities. Um, so if they can get ahead, then yeah, it's definitely good. And there's you know, the straights aren't crazy, crazy, crazy long. Although to the Red Bull, that won't make a difference anyway. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if Alonso can capitalize on. You know what we we believe to be a good car underneath him still, um, even though they've not been seen to be developing an awful lot. It feels like they're due sort of an uptick in performance. I think at Aston Martin. Yeah, and then with the progression of everyone else, I think that you know that that team who finish in second place behind the Red Bulls, assuming um, assuming Perez has a decent weekend, then yeah, it could be. It could be really, really, really tight and a really, really exciting race among those, what, four teams. So yeah. That's very exciting prospect. Because Mercedes were good here last year as well. One of the few tracks they were good at last yes, year. Yes, um, that's true. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I mean, it's one of those tracks that feels like it naturally kind of tightens the field anyway. Yeah. As well. Um, what else? Who else are you looking out for this weekend? Ooh, this weekend, I think... Piastri and Lando Norris. Um, uh, I suppose we just mentioned like the other teams, but yeah, Piastri and Lando Norris. It'd be interesting to have that that sort of already now they've got a decent car, kind of developing into quite an interesting rivalry. So simmering, be, isn't it? Yeah, it'll be cool to see how that plays out. If they, you know, if they're fighting for podiums, then when's that going to turn? If they're not going to be getting many podiums across this season or if they're not expecting many or if they are now expecting loads, who knows? But, you know, that rivalry will spice up yeah. um, and they're both, you know, right on it at the moment. So, yeah, that'll be... I'm very interested to see who can who can win out, out of those two. Um, and then 
I think Mercedes, you know, Mercedes is slowly understanding their car. They are kind of like, given their performance last year, they are for me like a bit of a team to watch. Um, if they can get, if we can do well here, then, you know, again, this could be their one chance to, to win a race this season. Yeah. Um, so they'll be fighting really, really hard, I think for, um, for a good, they'll be hoping for a really good weekend and yeah, they'll be wanting to get, get some good results on the board. Is there, is this a sprint weekend or is it a regular weekend? This is a regular weekend. Okay. That's good. Yeah, I I'm happy about that. I, I want a regular. Yeah. I, I prefer a regular weekend of Formula One to a, sprint, a silly sprint race where it all just gets a bit rushed and there's not enough time to really absorb it all and, and enjoy the whole thing and savor it. So, I also yeah. don't think a sprint race at this track would be particularly a good interesting idea. either. No, no. Um, right, should we move straight on and do some predictions then? Let's hit it. Okay. Um, Anyone's not joined us before, we do this every race weekend. We predict uh, who is going to be fastest in Q3, who's going to win the race, the first DNF number of finishers, and a random driver's finishing position. Uh, you can take part by going to backofthegrid.com. You can sign up for free, um, and you can win prizes if you get five out of five. So, Stu, who have yes. you got as fastest in Q3? Who do you think? Already writing down for Stappen. And easy, I'm just going to do the same for myself. You might it's, as well it, write Tom's in there. It's impossible. To, yeah, it's impossible to say anyone else for, other than Verstappen for the win. I assume you're doing the same. Yes, please. Right. More interesting, less predictable stuff. First DNF, who you got? Um, I'm going to be cruel and say Kevin Magnussen. Kevin Magnussen. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'll go for Hulkenberg, go for the other Haas. The faith we have in that team right now. Um, number of finishers, my turn to go first. I'm going to say, what was it like last year? I feel, yeah, it was only a couple last year. Um, I'm going to go high, I'm going to go 18. Ah, I was going to go 18. Um, <laughs> how many we did finish last year? It was 18 last year. Okay. Uh, I am going to say... You're ahead of me in the standings, right? I am, yes. For the first okay, time I'm going to say 19. I'm going to go 19. I'm going to go even, even bigger. Wait, no, 17. Ooh, he's gone the other way. Because it's tight and it's twisty <laughs> and it's difficult. And if it rains, things can go wrong really quickly at this circuit. Definitely going to be 19 now for anyone who wants a free point. Um, And then a random driver this week is Oscar Piastri. Ooh. Oh, that is very difficult given our previous chat about all those four Mm -hmm. teams who are in the mix for best of the rest. A man Um, upturn in form at the moment. Yeah. I'm going to say fourth. That feels... I think that's a little high. I'm going to say sixth. Okay. Yeah, sixth. That's it. So, yes, yeah, so so, that's us. As I say, if you want to take part, backthegrid.com, sign up for free. It's all there. Um, and yeah, best of luck. Mm-hmm. All of which leads us straight into the inbox. Yeah, it's been a very efficient episode so far. Very, very efficient. Quick. 
It's very inbox heavy this week, so let's get into yeah. it. Yeah. Well, also, there's not a lot of news around. Keep it Okay, I've got the first one. Uh, this one's from Paul D. It says, hey man, I know it's old news, but I've been thinking about the appetite for F1 to reduce the amount of tyres that they cart around the world for um, for which they have a fairly uninspiring fix for. <laughs> Would it be easier to have just two compounds, possibly a step in hardness apart? then surely they would need less. Didn't we talk about this? I feel, we, I feel like we've already spoke about this. Yeah, I think we spoke about this last week and this is like another another suggestion off the back of that. Um, two com- I wouldn't be completely against two compounds. Yeah, two compounds I, works for me, I think. A lot Just of races end up straight being... straight up two compounds and no more compounds than that. I guess you'd still have to have the range, but you'd just have a soft and a hard or or was it a prime and an option as they used to call them back in the day and just have be done with that no i I think paul's saying literally two different compounds and you design your car literally two a step in hardness i like the the step in hardness apart thing as well because sometimes they're just too close together yeah yeah Yeah, oh you need to go you probably need to go to like the c1 and the c like four (laughs) Just like two steps in hardness apart. But still so have the mandatory need, you need a pit big stop. difference. Yeah, and still, well, yeah. Yeah. You, it, well, that's a whole other question, isn't it? The mandatory pit stop. I don't, I, maybe, maybe we don't get into the mandatory pit stop thing. But, <laughs> but I, I mean, yeah, further proof that there's lots of ways you could deal with the lots of tyres problem that's better than the one they tried. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I like it. I think, like, look, there's not that much difference between them. They're try right now. They're trying to design their cars that will work with the C one and then the C I think five and then the wet. Well, probably not designing cars to work with wet tires because what's the point? And um, and the intermediate tire. Now there is a there is talk if we're going to, if we're talking about tires the wet tire they're talking about having a special tire that's somewhere between an intermediate and a full wet and it's really soft and it and it and they can run it and use it um, which again if they can have a single wet tire and that's your mandatory tire during wet track situations then I have no problem with that if it means that they're going to actually go out on track and race um, but I don't see much difference between there being I don't see why we necessarily need all these compounds between the softest and the hardest with the C1 and the C5. So because they're still designing their cars to work across that range of five tyres, right? They still need to design the car to work with the C1 and the C5. So just taking all those tyres out from in between means that they... They still have to, the teams. It doesn't really change the teams. It just means they've got less options. It means Pirelli have got less options yeah. of of tires to run across. I think so. It could mean that you go to somewhere like Bahrain, that's notorious for having like quite quite grippy tarmac. Is that right? Yeah. Um, certain track. I don't know. I, I'm not sure if it is Bahrain, but I can't remember whichever whichever circuit it is. Certain circuits have very very rough tarmac. That's really really tough on the tires. So. They'd probably have to design tires that, across the board, will, will you know give you options ac- throughout a season. Like you need to be able to run the tire needs to work at both tires need to work at every track if they do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would t- take out a lot of the needless complexity, I think. And yeah. they wouldn't have to 
make as many tires either. So that is, again, that'd be helpful. Because the counter argument is that that would pretty much make every race, or in all likelihood, it would make most races a one stopper. But then we've kind of got that now anyway. Yeah, so it's not like that would be a huge change. Well, I don't yeah. know. Like, I don't necessarily know if that's true because I mean, my point is, I think it, it, it should go the other way because if you've got if you if your stop is mandatory, and you, I guess, like they'd just run the hardest compound everywhere if they can, but as long as they could, you, and then if you make it instead of making it mandatory that you have a have to have a pit stop, you make it mandatory that you have to run both types of tire. Then we'll get you know you go to some circuits where you have to run two of the hard tire, but you still got to run one of the softest tire. So you might run, you know, you might save your, your soft oh, tyre yeah, for the very end when you know, the logic would be you save the soft tyre and run that second when, you know, you've got less weight in the car from the fuel and the, the tracks rub it in so you can make the most of it then. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think it requires a lot more thought than just us two chatting away on <laughs> the podcast for five minutes about in one t- tyre corner again. Yeah, yeah, when we've got a few others here to get to. So shall we go for the next one? Next one from Eugene Risto. What's your guys' thoughts on a potential proposal to revert back to 10 points for a win and only the first eight cars scoring any points? Uh, in seasons such as this, Red Bull would have to keep at it until the end of the season, especially with Horner's claims that the wind tunnel time punishment they received will only come to fruition in the running. Um, would have stopped Max pulling as much of a gap and the gap would be easy to turn around. Well, given... I don't know about that because the the whole point of having this point system that they've got now is to increase the gap between the only time this doesn't work is when one person wins every race over and over and over again. It does. But, but if you are only pulling the old point system, you're only pulling if the same drivers finish one and two, you're gaining two points by winning every race. Whereas in the current system, you're pulling seven point gap i believe it is which i know the whole point system stretched out anyway but one one of the points of them moving to the 25 and down system is that it rewards winning races more yeah whereas which obviously in a season like this means the gap just grows at a massive rate whereas the old what was it 10 8 6 5 3 2 1 10 8 6 5 4 3 2 1 or something like that yeah yeah, but, like, yeah the gap but, doesn't grow as big as quickly but at the same time the the gap can be because there's more points per second. The gap can be closed more quickly too, though, right? Because it's 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 almost elastic and it's yeah. But that's that's the point. It means that a, a driver having a winning streak can't pull away as much, so it'll be easier for them to be reeled in in the back half of the season. Mm. But at the end of the day, if they're going to pull out a winning streak and they've got such an advantage, they're just going to keep pulling out that winning streak. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really matter what the points do. Like, no yeah, one's would, catching up. Even so if it was 10 points, it'd still just be getting maximums every weekend and no one would be able to catch it. So I don't think it makes that much difference myself. Yeah. I also, I like that there are 10 places for people to fight for to get points. Like, when yeah. I first started watching, it was only the top six, top six that got points. Yeah. And, like, the, the average race... Like all there but were 26 four teams. cars on the grid. By yeah, then. all but four teams basically didn't stand a chance of a point every weekend. So, yeah, I don't think we want to be taking points off finishing positions for sure. No. Uh, next one is from Phil Mark. He says, "Hey man, um, so with silly season in invert commas coming to an end and not too much happening, if you <laughs> it's could pretty mildly, just, if you could choose just one person to come onto your podcast 
that is from the grid, I'm assuming, okay, whether it's a driver, a team principal or an engineer, who would it be and what single question would you ask them? Oh, that's a great question. That is a good question. It's a difficult one. Um, um, I would have Adrian Newey and my question would be, what's your secret? <laughs> <laughs> Adrian Newey would be a really good one, actually. It would be. I don't think I'm smart enough to have Adrian Newey on this show and have <laughs> what would be a stimulating conversation for him. It'd be a very yeah, stimulating that... conversation for me, but I think he'd get bored. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he'd be a very um, intimidating guest to have on a podcast. Yeah. Or he might be he might be dead friendly. It might be really, really nice. He might have a right laugh with him. He might end up not talking about Formula One and just talking about other <laughs> which wouldn't be much fun for the listeners, but it'd be enjoyable for us as hosts. <laughs> um who would I pick from the current grid? I think Alonso would be good fun. I think Alonso has got to that stage where he's starting to open up about his early career a little bit more. So I think you could probably ask him. I mean, what I'd love to ask Alonso is how much did you know about Singapore 2008? <laughs> I yeah. don't know if you'd get much of an uh, answer out of him, but that's a question I'd love to ask him. Does um, does Ferrari ambassador Felipe Massa count in this uh, <laughs> in this question? Uh, no, I think we've answered that one. So should we do the next one? Yeah. Oh, it's me. Again, for some reason, I don't know why I've, I've made a mistake there and I've put two S's in there. There you go, we've got back-to-back stew questions. Back-to-back stew questions. Um, Keith Evans says, Hi lads, over the years there have been a number of ex-drivers as team owners and team principals, although not that many in the grand scheme of things, who were of the present crop of drivers or recently retired do you think would make a good team principal? I mean, Sebastian I read Vettel this the feels other day. like they emailed the obvious this answer. I, I read this the other day, and I got. Are you even thinking really ahead? Excited have you? about it? Yeah, yeah. I think current drivers go on. You, sorry, you were saying Vettel. I would say Sebastian Vettel feels like an obvious answer. I think that comes more from just I would like Sebastian Vettel to still be part of the day to day of F one because I kind of miss the guy. Um, mm. He's busy launching. Uh, some sort of energy drink kickstart not kickstart a crowd cube thing at the moment oh yeah I saw that yeah yeah I don't know what it is but it's some some sort of drink go check go go Make if you're happy. interested in Sebastian Vettel go and check out his crowd cube page just search <laughs> Sebastian Vettel on crowd cube and you'll find like the thing that he's doing um, not currently sponsoring us but if you want to get in yeah. touch um <laughs> Who would I... I think Alonso of the current... Again, which is very Alonso-heavy, like yeah. Alonso fanboys. But um, I do think Alonso would eventually make a, a canny team leader. Mm. Um, yeah, Vettel is my favourite. I think Vettel... I can see Vettel becoming a, um, a team yeah. principal or starting a team of some I think... Or being I feel like Vettel would especially excel in like a mid to low end of the grid get some young drivers in kind of team like like Fred Vasseur always did for a long time at um Alfa Romeo we had a, a reputation of being really good with bringing younger drivers through and helping them develop to then go off to the bigger teams I can see Vettel being a good that kind of team principal yeah um we've got um Alex Albon in the chat is one of the ones where's the Ooh, Alex Albon would be a good team principal. I mean, I hope for Alex Albon's sake it's a long time before he's in a position to be thinking about his next job, but um, I can yeah. see where that's coming from. Yeah. 
Um, okay, next one. Next one from Kazaponder, I believe that is, um, from, from YouTube, actually. Thank you for leaving a YouTube comment. Do you think Hulkenberg will ever get a chance of getting a seat in a top team? Do you think if he was given a chance in a top car, he'd be capable of competing for a championship? Hmm. Um, I think that ship has sailed now. I, I, I don't think... I think if you were to put him in, a say, a Red Bull against Max Verstappen, he ain't beating Max Verstappen. If you put him in a Mercedes against Hamilton, he's not beating Hamilton. You put him in a McLaren against Norris or Piastri, I don't think he's beating either of those two either. Um, I could be wrong. Like I don't know. You're a you're a you're a Hulkenberg fan, Chris. What do you think? I kind of feel the same. Like he's over the years, he has come close to getting some top seats. Um, apparently, he had talks with Ferrari and sort of when would it have been? I think it was two thousand and six before Reich. They went for Reich and instead, um, and obviously Reich went on to win the two thousand seven uh, championship. Um, and then Ross Braun has said that um, he was their second choice if they didn't manage to get Lewis Hamilton from McLaren. Um, so I feel like he's always he's been on a lot of big teams' radars, but there's always been someone slightly ahead of him in the queue a lot of times. Um, I feel like he could... I think if he'd have been given the seat that Bottas got at the same time at Mercedes, he probably could have done a comparable job, I would say. Um, but I also think he would have done about as good a job of a championship fight as Bottas managed, i.e. Yeah. Not not good enough, ultimately. Yeah, we, we, in a parallel universe, we would have been talking about Hulkenberg 2.0 instead of Bottas 2.0, 3.0, blah, blah, blah. Um, I mean... There's a question for you. If if Hulkenberg had got that seat and Hamilton hadn't, were we talking about Rosberg, the like five time world champion now, or would Hulkenberg have taken some championships off Rosberg in that Mercedes dominance period? That's interesting. I think that's that's a fairer fight. I think it would have been I think we might have had a few years of really, really close racing between those two. Um same with, but you know, if Bottas it was against Rosberg, I think it, that would have been a more interesting fight to watch. Yeah, it probably <laughs> was. It was a lot of the time. It was a little bit like ethical seal clubbing for for, uh, for Hamilton <laughs> against Bottas. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, again, parallel universe. It's not really why we're here. <laughs> so, yeah, there's not much, not much I can add to that. Um, last question. Yep, last one this week. Last one from Ronald Benjamin. Uh, hey, man's. Uh, my question is: After just over six years of Liberty Media purchasing F1, has it been that long? Wow. Um, how do you think they've done, both commercially and for the fans? Obviously, we've seen the sports fan base grow and team values increase. We've also seen much more sponsorship of individual race aspects, i.e., drive of the day. Um, he also adds as anecdotal proof of how popular Drive to Survive is, I recently heard a new fan claim they don't watch the live shows because it ruins Drive to Survive for them. <laughs> which is a thing I've also heard somebody I've say, heard which that. is insane to me. Yeah, I've heard that as well. I, th I find, so on that last point, yeah, I find it strange that you would only watch the Netflix show and not yeah. experience the thrill of seeing like an actual, especially like 2021, you know. like I mean... 
I guess there's people that have avoided looking at... It's, it's easier to do, but I'm sure there's people who avoided seeing Wrexham results for the last year because they wanted to watch the Disney Plus show to see how it panned out. Yeah, but you obviously, say avoided, I say haven't noticed. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's it's a lot easier to avoid... Um, what was it? It wasn't even Football League, oh, was it? It was... Like, um, yeah, it's like... Well, now it's Football League. It was like the the Northern Northern Conference, was it, or something crazy? Like, it oh, was I don't like, know. It was it, it was, was not. It was just like a lower than the lowest professional. It was league. it was it's Johnston's football. Paint Trophy tier football. Yeah, <laughs> the greatest trophy name of all time. Anyway, um, Liberty Media. How do you think they've done? I think, bro- very broadly speaking, I think they've been a real positive for F1. If you look at where F1 was before they took over, in yeah. general, a massive positive. Yeah, I mean, they gave me a job. so <laughs> That's good. That's a positive. I, I, I'll give them a gleaming review. <laughs> <laughs> they were a really good client for a long time for me. So, yeah. Um, Certainly don't agree with everything they've done. Um, no. The kind of... Uh, the sponsorship of every little element and the AWS business and all of that all feels a bit shoehorned in. A bit um, forced. Yeah. Bit, there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of it feels forced. But, yeah, very broadly speaking, I think that would be a huge positive. Yeah, I think, like, you know, I think the the big thing is the social media presence is, has gone from being yeah. not, just non-existent, barely existent to... They've turned it into one of the most watched YouTube channels in the world of YouTube. Like there are, they have so many subscribers. Each video gets so many views. Um, you know, they do a, they do a, the team over there do an amazing job every week of of churning out more and more and more and more and more content. Whatever you think of it, like you know, it gets the views. So um, that's good. And yeah, just continued exposure for the sport. Um, there was a time, you know, I remember a time when, again, like back back during the uh, top six drivers getting points period, where you <laughs> talk to people about Formula One and just be like, huh? That people wouldn't really be that into Formula One. It was kind of like almost, I felt like for a lot of time, it felt like a bit of a niche sport. Maybe I just not discovered, or the facility wasn't there to discover, you know, the other Formula One fans. And I think thanks to Liberty Media now, we've got much more active I think technology in general has like helped this along anyway as well. I yeah. think like, you know things like Reddit and and social media in general. The groups. There was a time when there was just like a Formula One group on Facebook, the <laughs> Armchair Experts group on Facebook, and that was essentially back in the day. That was the Reddit of Formula One. That was the online content. community. Yeah, that was the online community. That was the biggest one on, on Facebook, anyway. And now, like. Just everywhere you look on social media and online, there's there's something Formula One related for you to soak up. For better or for worse, you know, like not not everyone is sort of not every fan conducts themselves in the in the most <laughs> social way for social media. <laughs> but um, I think overall, I think it is like a much more talked about sport and a much more. It, it's very much in the Zeke guys now where. It, back in the day you know when we started doing this it wasn't and I think like the growth of our podcast as well like as Formula One has grown it's helped us grow just because more and more people are into it and the osmosis of of 
there being more fans just bleeds into yeah like to all the content creators content so that's really we, good as well we felt the drive to survive effect for sure yeah massively yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah it's, it's, i think they've done i think they've done a brilliant job in terms of getting more fans in getting people talking about f1 but i think definitely some of the changes that have come about to the sport itself and some of the sort of aspects where maybe there's sometimes a little bit too much too much focus on the show and not enough focus on the pure racing um and obviously as a sport it's always been quite lethargic in terms of like making changes for the better and often when they're given an opportunity to make changes for the better they instead do something with quality which yeah. is not yeah. really what what you want so still work to do but definitely six years into into their ownership i think it is a, in a better place than when they found it overall. looking at the valuations it's been a pretty pretty solid investment for them as well yeah. you'd have to say oh yeah well i mean they've, look it's what they do isn't it they they come to sports yeah. they come to they go places and they make them make them more desirable make them better and and yeah formula one's a huge example of that for them so fair place to them yeah absolutely and that is about everything this week i think isn't it yep. so as mentioned before, if you want to take part in the Predictions League, just go to backthegrid.com. You can also find a contact form there if you want to message us. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, X, whatever it's called these days, Instagram, all those things, and drop us a message. And we are, of course, also on YouTube now, so you can watch us there as well um, and have a look at the some shorts that we put up and all of that kind of stuff. Don't promise we... too much. Don't promise too much. <laughs> There's not always time. <laughs> I mean, there's always shorts there. They're just not necessarily new ones. That's true. There's always episodes there as well. There is always episodes Which you should there. subscribe to. It's very important you subscribe yes. to them, please. We're day close, and date. Close, very close to 200 now as well. So, yeah, we, I mean, I'm amazed at how many have subscribed over the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, get us, get us to 200. If you're still watching, get us to 200. And yes, please do. Get and those join the subscribes and well. likes and all that. Yes, <laughs> you can go to patreon.com slash backthegrid if you want to see how you can join there, get involved with our Discord and all of that business. But I think that's everything. So we'll be back in a week's time to review the Dutch Grand Prix um, and also preview the next one. I think this is the start of one of yeah. the many triple headers, isn't it? So we're... This is a double header, this one. Double header, this one. We're getting yeah. deep into it now. This, this second, I say second half, like, I guess it's the last third of the season. He's just going to fly by, I think. Oh, yeah. Big time. So, yeah, join us next week for that. Thank you all again for listening and goodbye. Bye.